29 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. X29 cares deeply about global outreach because the Great Commission of Jesus calls us to take the gospel to every people group in the world. But amid many of these diverse places and peoples, simply living and existing there can be really challenging. People face crippling poverty, increasing crime, lack of educational opportunity, and so many more challenges. They need the gospel just like everywhere else. But planting a church in these hard places comes with extraordinary challenges, unlike some places. This is why Matthew Spindler-Davison, who we call MSD, joins me on the Acts 29 podcast today to talk about Acts 29's vision for global outreach. Matthew is originally from Scotland and now lives in Bardstown, Kentucky, where he serves as the planting pastor for Redeemer Fellowship. Matthew, welcome to the Acts 29 podcast, bro. Hey, Jeff. Good to be back with you. Well, you know, last time we recorded, uh, we uh, were at a conference together. It was not as nice of a setup as this. I think nope. you remember that. Yep. You're set up on an ironing board in a hotel room. that's right yeah when you're a church planning network uh you know you you just hustle you grit you grind and the ironing board was the best thing to put a microphone on at the time but it's good to see you man Uh, why don't you uh, tell listeners how you became a christian and kind of your path in the church planting and how you got involved with x29 yeah so i uh, grew up in scotland and you know i didn't have any kind of experience going to church as a kid my extended family certainly weren't believers uh, going to school, into high school with a thousand students. I don't think I knew a single Christian in my high school. Um, I had any kind of conscious awareness of Christianity uh, growing up. But my mum became good friends with a, a lady who was a member of a little tiny Scottish Baptist church on the east coast of Scotland in a place called Stonehaven. And yeah, I'd go go along with her every once in a while. Uh, always considered Christianity to kind of be fairy tale, make believe. Um, but there was one Sunday, I remember quite vividly, uh, the guy who was preaching, preaching the gospel, but it was, it was when he was uh, fencing the table of the Lord's Supper. Now, you can remember, it's a church of about 20 people. I'm the only unbeliever in the room. So he's fencing me from coming to the table. And that's what the Lord used to kind of mm-hmm. wake me up to the fact on the, on the outside, I need to at least understand what it is that I'm being prevented from coming to. Um, in this kind of the Lord's Supper uh, moment. And so I talked to the, the pastor afterwards, and he shared very clearly the gospel of grace, and I became conscious of my sin, um, need for a Savior, and professed faith when I was about 17, and I uh, was baptized shortly after that at that church. And so it's uh, how I came to faith and wow. began growing pretty quickly. I was discipled there at that church, but I was big into politics. I was a bit of a uh, political geek. Uh, I was doing a degree in politics. I worked in the Scottish Parliament. Um, the actual, the, the member of Parliament that I was uh, the campaign manager for is now the Secretary of State for Defence of the United Kingdom. So oh, wow. that's uh, he's now helping lead some of the war, war effort there in in, uh, in Ukraine. I see him on the TV all the time now. But anyway, he was, he was the guy I was working for um, and was uh, pretty ambitious. I really wanted to go into uh, become a member of parliament and um uh, but i remember quite uh, distinctly coming back from a campaign event uh when i was uh, probably 21 uh, campaign event for the scottish parliament 
and just the Lord just kind of waking me up and saying Scotland would not be, it's not going to be transformed through the parliament. It'll be transformed through the pulpit. And I'm seeing all these pulpits of no men preaching. I'm seeing churches that are abandoned and dying. And I realize the true power in the land is through the preaching of the gospel. And so the Lord used that to kind of break me. Uh, I fell out of love with politics, in love with preaching and with the church. Uh, my little church kind of encouraged me to go to Bible college. Um, there was no decent Bible college in Scotland at the time. And so that's when I moved to Louisville to come to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. So I came here when I was 23 wow. um, with a heart to go back to Scotland to plant. I didn't want to be like Alice de Beck and like leave and never go back. I wanted to be like a guy who's going to go back and say, here I am 18 years later. So what's that all about? Um, mm. uh, the, you know, when I moved here, I kind of planted a church here in the town I moved to. And the Lord has used this church to plant multiple churches in Scotland through a ministry we started called 20 Schemes. And, and it seemed like the Lord moved me here to have a, a ministry to Scotland that would have been bigger than if I'd gone back when I wanted to go back to you. And so it's just exciting to see what God's done with that and some of the churches that we've seen planted. And that's what led me into Acts 29. Um, so just looking for other church planting, um, uh, like-minded brothers who are church planters, uh, uh, who are where I'm at theologically, have the same kind of heart for, for ministry and missions. Uh, so we connected with uh, Acts 29, I think about five years ago. That's uh, when we uh, linked up with Acts 29. Yeah, you know, you've been all around the world. You have all kinds of crazy stories. You've lived in all kinds of neat places. And listeners always love to ask, and I know uh, other Vice President Doug Logan always loves to talk about it too, explain your accent for our listeners. Yeah, so I have a uh, very confused accent. So the great thing is, wherever I go in the world, people ask me, where are you from? And so, um, so even back in Scotland, I get asked that question, where, where are you from? Oh, so most hilarious. people assume Australia, um, or some kind, some, some so nowhere, but, um, yeah, I mean, I born in Norway, mom's from England, dad's from Ireland, lived in Scotland, married a girl from Mobile, Alabama, pastor a church in Kentucky. Um, so my accent is pretty confused, but I think the main reason why my accent is confused, most, a lot of people don't know this. I was deaf until I was about 17. So I wore hearing aids. Really? Uh, I learned to speak through speech therapy. And so I was a premature baby. And so I didn't develop, my hearing didn't develop until later in life. And so I didn't hear, so I learned speaking through therapy rather than through listening. And so I think that obviously affects your accent. Uh, so I don't even sound like my brother or my parents. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And for listeners out there who don't know, MSD also has a twin brother who, if you guys see them, it's like, whoa, they look almost exactly alike. Yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty scary. Yeah, yep. it's pretty amazing. I mean, you meet identical twins. You're like, okay, yeah, you can tell. But you <laughs> and your brother look very much alike. It's very cool. He's a cool guy. Okay, well, you serve as uh, you serve as our X29 Vice President for Global Outreach. Uh, when and why was this new position established? And really, what are, you know, cast some vision for us. What are you hoping to accomplish through this new uh, VP role? So I was originally in the role of kind of overseeing a ministry called Church in Hard Places, which is uh, an initiative of Acts 9 to provide training and assessment tools for those doing ministry in particularly poor communities or remote rural places around the world. Um, and then as we're thinking about just kind of the role of Acts 9 in terms of expanding into or engaging hard to reach or unengaged places, we recognize that um, it's bigger than just 
uh, a training platform, which is what Church in Our Places is. And so Global Outreach is really trying to capture, this is, as Acts 29, as a global community churches, uh, how are we seeking to engage the unengaged, the unreached, the hard-to-reach places around the world? So what I don't want you to think of when you hear Global Outreach is America's mission to the world. That's not what Global Outreach is. Global Outreach is thinking about how do we, as a global community of churches, um, uh, Think about engaging those hard-to-reach, unengaged places in our own regions and regions elsewhere. Uh, so that's so unreached, unengaged, under-resourced. How do we identify church planters? How do we train them? How do we assess them? And then how do we resource them well for the mission that they're doing? Yeah, that's so good. You know, it's such a needed uh, needed role. So I'm grateful that you're serving our global network and, and serving us all in this way. You know, you travel a lot uh, for for Acts 29. If if you guys don't follow MSD on any social media, you get to tour the world. If, if you do, uh, he was recently in Africa. Um, he's all he's all over the place, and so which is really neat, which is cool. I bet his passport's amazing. But what's really amazing about it is some of the stories. Uh, Add three. That's <laughs> three passports. That's right. Yeah, if you could share share with us some of the stories of just men and women you've met and how their lives and ministries have just been transformed through the gospel work uh, that you guys are doing and the gospel work of Acts 29. One of the, uh, it's, it's definitely one of the joys, the privileges, the, the, the job I have. It's not necessarily the places I go, but the people that we get to meet along the way and surf alongside. Um, and I think that's kind of what sets Acts 29 apart from when we think of outreach, global missions, think of it engaging the unreached, is we're not a mission-sending agency. So we're not raising up um, missionaries, equipping them, sending them cross-culturally to go and do ministry. There's a place of that. Uh, but what Axel 9 does really well is we identify um, indigenous leaders, leaders who are from a place um, who are often already doing ministry to a place, but we come alongside them and equip them uh, to do that work, and then for their church to then plant to become a multiplying church in that space in that community. Uh, so you know, it's, I think of some of the people that we've met, some of the just phenomenal indigenous leaders that we have around the world. I think of a guy named Mario Manaville in Cape Town, um, who's planted a church in a place called Cape Flats or Bellevue South in. Uh, Cape Town. Cape Town's a beautiful place. You've been in Cape Town, stunning, kind of, kind of the, the vineyards and the beautiful coastline and the mountains. But where Mario is at, he is in the uh, kind of deep poverty, inner city, poor community that's been devastated by drugs, gang warfare, um, uh, just decades of, of underinvestment. And but Mario is right there living in the middle of that community. Uh, he, came, he himself came out with the prosperity gospel. Um, discovered Reformed theology, embraced Reformed theology, uh, and then planted this church in the middle of this community. I mean, he's literally going into um, uh, homes of, of gang lords, gang leaders, trying to negotiate the peace from one gang to the next um, in the middle of this neighborhood. Death is on his doorstep most days uh, as he sees it, but he is there he has got half that community. He's preaching to that community, and he is seeing a church take shape and flourish um, that looks like that community. Uh, so it's not a church from the suburbs doing a ministry to a place. It's a person in the place, present in the community, uh, seeing a gospel light become a beacon 
to that neighborhood. And so I think Mario is just phenomenal. What I love about Mario as well is he's got heart for Africa. Um, he's got a vision not just for his community, uh, but just for reaching other kind of inner city, poor slums and, and poor communities across Africa. And he's a, he's a good, solid, godly leader amongst men. And Acts 9 kind of helps not just, you know, other, other ministries perhaps or other organizations may kind of discredit or discard a guy like that. His church is like 20 people. He's, he's been faithfully doing ministry for a long time. But I look at guys like that and there's a, the, the talent that he has and the, the voice that he could have is uh, just incredible. And so I wanted to come alongside him, equip him, encourage him, and then uh, utilize him across Africa. It's been great. Then another guy, Dilvan, uh, uh, who's in the northern part of Brazil, a community called San Luis up in the northern part of Brazil. And uh, Dilvan, again, is just a phenomenal brother, Presbyterian minister, planted a church up in San Luis in a place of deep poverty. Um, they're just, uh, he's just such a, a deep heart of a pastor. He's an older, uh, slightly older, um, uh, but he's just a very strong pastoral gift. Everybody loves Dilvan. He, he just hugs people. He's just a really affectionate guy but a faithful preacher of the gospel. What I love about him is the work that he's doing to uh, reach into the interior of the Amazon and to connect with unreached people groups in the interior. So he's planting a poor church from a poor place, but he's got a vision to go to an even harder place, to an even poorer place, and to take the gospel there. And he's doing it uh, with, with, uh, with great effect and great results. Man, you know, we could spend probably hours and hours talking about the amazing things that you see around the world and the way God is moving uh, in X29 and the way God's using X29 to, to bless churches and to bless planters and pastors and, and the ministry that you guys are doing. It's, it's incredible. And I, I think listeners should be so encouraged. Uh, I'm always so encouraged every time I sit with you and, and talk with you and hear what God's doing and, and the plans that you guys are rolling out. Uh, for some of the church and heart places stuff, it's really spectacular. And so any X29, you know, pastors and churches and leaders that are listening, uh, keep praying for the church and heart places, keep praying for the pastors, uh, reach out, see how you could give and serve and, and, and connect with, uh, global leaders, uh, all around the world. Uh, you, you will be so encouraged, uh, as I am too. Um, well, MSD, there's also another element of, of your, of y'all's ministry is you do a lot of teaching. Um, you and Tim Sizemore were just in Africa doing some teaching. Um, you'll be around the world doing teaching. And so let's talk about some of the theological training you guys do and, and how, how Acts 29 is helping to even counteract some of the bad doctrine and bad theology and even like prosperity theology that you encounter all around the world. So, uh, you know, we think about how to equip and train indigenous leaders. And it's more than just about doing, you know, going for two weeks and putting on a seminar or a conference or you know, even producing a book and handing out books uh, to some people. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys who are doing ministry in hard, hard places, hard to reach places. There are a lot of obstacles to them, uh, to accessing training, um, and also to access training that is contextually relevant to where they're doing ministry. And so you think about it, if you're doing ministry in an unengaged, unreached, um, poor community, think of a inner city slum in 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 Kibera, West Af- in in uh, Nairobi. Uh, or you think of where I was just talking about, Jovan up in northern Brazil. Uh, they're limited in the fact that perhaps they can't afford to go and get theological education, so uh, affordability is a limiting factor. They're limited in the fact that many of them actually have full-time jobs. Uh, ministry often doesn't pay their way, and so they would have to leave their family to go and pursue training elsewhere. And 
Uh, and then also they're limited because some of the training that is provided just isn't suitable to their context. Some of them maybe don't have the, uh, uh, the literacy levels to maybe attain some level of education. Some do, but some. Uh, but even if they do, they don't have uh, contextually relevant training. So what we developed a few years ago is what we call the Church in Hard Places Apprenticeship. Uh, that word apprenticeship is really significant. Um, it's kind of like the you know the Jesus model that the, takes his, his guys, his disciples for a couple of years. He walks with them. He teaches them along the way, right? So that you see that language along the way used often in where Jesus is walking with his disciples. And so it's kind of learning through seeing and doing rather than simply learning through reading and writing. And so the apprenticeship model is a two-year program. Um, where church in our places, apprentice is somebody from an area of poverty or remote rural place would sign up, uh, would meet with us once a month as part of a regional cohort. Um, and that's where we uh, kind of do some teaching. We give them a book a month. They do kind of read it together, but it's a book that we've developed that would be contextually relevant. And then we, we do our intensives where we go on, on site and we spend three days with them. And they teach and they preach and we give them feedback and they'll present a church plant strategy and we'll give them feedback. And it's much more interactive. And that's what I was doing last week in Uganda with the guys. So let me give you an example. Last week I'm in Uganda in Kampala. We had two men in our cohort who are planting a church on a refugee camp in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, these men are refugees in a United Nations refugee camp who would never make it to Bible college. And yet there are thousands of people living in this refugee camp who will probably never leave that refugee camp. And so who's going to plant a church in a place like that? Well, we had two men who came on bus to this intensive to be equipped and trained to preach and to teach the gospel back into that refugee camp. Um, and so that apprenticeship model kind of removes some of the uh, obstacles and the hurdles uh, that may uh, allow some of these men to get trained and taught. You know, church planting is um, evangelism. Church planting is mercy ministry. Church planting is disciple, uh, disciple making. Um, and that is the work that we're seeking to do in these hard places. Evangelize, show, demonstrate ministries of mercy through building a biblical faithful community together and make disciples through teaching all I've commended. And so that's what we do through our apprenticeship. Uh, but as we do that, we encounter some pretty significant um, theological threats that are coming against us. And so the other threat is not just the lack of access, uh, but also what are, what are we dealing with theologically? So most of these men, the only thing that they know is, a lot of them, is the prosperity gospel. Because um, all over the world, the prosperity gospel preys on areas of poverty. These are like the wolves ravaging our poorest communities, uh, the people propagating a health and wealth gospel, whether you're in Latin America or whether you're in um, Africa. But I would also suggest that's also true in the West, in some of our poorest communities, that there's a form of a prosperity gospel is being peddled. Um, and so we're trying to teach a, a, a gospel of grace, um, a gospel that's even a, a, a biblical understanding of suffering, a biblical understanding of hardship, not a, not a uh, uh, you know, calling people to a theology of poverty, but calling people to a theology of grace, mercy, um, in the midst of poverty. Um, and so that's certainly one of the threats. Uh, I think the other thing I see is, um, is this rapid multiplication of church planting movements uh, that uh, has a false understanding of the church. What do I mean by that? So if I go to some places, Southeast Asia in particular, certainly Sub-Saharan Africa, 
um, large parts of Latin America. You see this rapid multiplication. Let's find this guy. He's a person of peace. Let's identify him. Let's give him the gospel and let's let him go and reproduce himself through this kind of rapid multiplication house church movement um, that kind of takes off very quickly. The, the challenge with that is you've got two challenges. One, uh, we're calling a man a pastor who's not a pastor who perhaps isn't biblically qualified to be a pastor, hasn't been equipped to be a pastor, hasn't been assessed to be a pastor. And two, we're calling a church a church that isn't a church. Um, what does it mean to be a church? What are some of the uh, fundamentals of a church? Um, and one of the things I love about what Acts 9 does through our assessment is that we have a, uh, both we're urgent, we have an urgency about the gospel. Yes, we want to engage and reach um, uh, unengaged, hard to reach places. But also we're robust. We're incredibly robust in our assessment of a man's character and also our assessment of our understanding of what a church is and what it looks like to see a healthy church reproduced and planted. So you bring those together, a, a gospel of grace and a, of a healthy understanding of the church, then I think you're going to have a much uh, more sustainable long-term approach to engaging uh, the hard-to-reach places around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Amen, brother. I mean, so many, so many challenges um, so many needs, but also so much power uh, in the ministry of the gospel, mm. in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, in the work of church planting, and and how the risen Christ is is moving among us and equipping us for for good works. And so, I wonder if you could just tell us, you know, some of the things that excite you most about what God is doing through Acts twenty nine churches, serving and loving and and sacrificing in in the world's hard places. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much. So whenever I get to go places, I get excited and encouraged. I see uh, uh, that there's a, a robustness um, on the ground in some places, just a fervency about the gospel, kind of driven by the gospel, a, they're motivated by the gospel, and so it's a love for uh, this, the power of the gospel in some places. So I see that. But I think, um, so whether, yeah, we're, we're, so you could be a guy who's planting in the most miserable, uh, just difficult, hard place. And you look at that and it's like, I struggled to spend a week there. And this is, this is where they live. This is their home. And yet there is a joy that comes from just trusting and loving and delighting in the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing the power of the gospel at work day after day. Um, and so it's getting to witness that. I think there's just a genuine longing for partnership, a genuine longing for community in Acts 9. Uh, whether I'm in the U.S., I'm talking to, you know, if I'm a guy planting a church in, in Flint, Michigan, or Waco, Texas, or Cincinnati, Ohio, um, and when I say a longing for partnership, that goes both ways. I think I see uh, kind of the resource-wealthy churches have a genuine longing to be partnered with other churches that are seeking to engage those harder-to-reach places. And I think there, there is a, a huge opportunity that Acts 9 has um, through fostering that spirit of partnership um, and and cultivating very meaningful and real partners. And so when I say partners, I don't mean, hey, there's this guy in, in you know, Guatemala that, that needs $100 a month. Can you send him some money? When I say partners, I mean, I mean relationship. I mean investing in friendships. I mean uh, elders from one church going to visit elders from another church and and have and committing each other to the long term. And so yeah, finances is a part of that, but it goes deeper than that. You know, actually when I talk about we're we're a community of multiplying churches. Um, and that community takes shape as we form relationships. We form those partnerships. And the beautiful thing about Axe 9 
is that you can form a partnership with a church in Sao Paulo, Sydney, uh, you know, Santiago, Chile, or you can uh, form a relationship with the church in um, here in the U.S. or in Canada as well. And and yet, where that partnership is built on a mutual understanding and respect for the gospel, and an understanding and respect for what the church is. Um, and so, I think that's the the, the genius, the, the brilliance of of um, just what this kind of multiplying community of churches is, I think, capable of doing globally together. Amen. We really are a, a global, uh, gospel-centered church planting network. Um, you, you said it You said it so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, MSD, we love to end uh, every episode of the x one podcast with three final questions. And so, but before we get to those, I just want to encourage listeners to go and, you know, stay connected to the, the work of the church in hard places and what they're doing and see how you can get involved, how you could participate and be looking for announcements and insight on how you can get connected with other global churches and, and have partnerships together in the work of the gospel. Uh, so, okay. F- final three questions. What's a great book you've read recently that you want to recommend? Uh, book that I'm reading, taking some of my pastoral interns through is a Big Gospel in Small Places by Steve Whitmer. So if you're planting in a rural community, a uh, small town, then just uh, that's a really helpful little handbook. Uh, thinking of a hundred-year vision for a place rather than a five-year vision for a place uh, as uh, Big Gospel in Small Places. Okay, Big Gospel, Small Places. Now, what's your go-to order in a coffee shop? I can't remember. Do you, do you get tea since you're British? Are you going to get tea? Uh do you like tea? But I in a coffee shop, I'll order coffee. Uh, so I love love. Uh, I'm just simple americano, americano. Um, I like I like a strong americano. Perfect, perfect. I do too. They they can be nice. They can be nice and, and uh, hit the spot. Okay, best question. Uh, your favorite verse in the Bible and why? So Zechariah chapter four, verse six. Zechariah four, verse six. So he answered me, "This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel." Not by strength, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. Um, and it's just this, as uh, the Lord by his spirit is just, uh, really just encouraging a discouraged builder, somebody who feels defeated, the enemies are all around him. He looks at the challenge ahead of him and he says, how will anything ever be built here in a place like this? And uh, the Lord just reminds him, it's not by what you can do with your hands, it's by the spirit that this will be built. Um, and just, I think for all church planters, we have those moments of discouragement, uh, but certainly in the hard places and the unengaged, hard to reach places, uh, the spirit is powerful no matter where we are, wherever our feet tread, the spirit has power and just reminding us of that day after day. It's so good, man. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that great word with us. And thank you for coming on the X29 podcast today. It's always great to talk with you and I know our listeners and viewers too. We'll be blessed. Enjoy it. Well, today's show was edited by Aaron Logan. Show prep and research was done by Amy Tyson and Christy Britton. And I'm your host, Jeff Metters, the director of assessment for X29. And I would love to speak with you about you planning a church and seeing the gospel work continue around the world through the X29 network. And remember, brothers and sisters, let's keep planning churches unto the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm.